Hello and welcome back to another episode of Getting to Know You. I am your host, Jen Dawson, PEDRA's Associate Director of Educational Programs. And today I am joined by Dr. Katherine Sibold. Dr. Sibold is an assistant professor at the University of Toronto and pediatric dermatologist at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, Canada. She currently serves on PEDRA's Grants and Outcomes Committees, and she recently became the co-chair for PEDRA's Hair Disorders Focused Study Group. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Sibold. Thank you so much for the invitation. Absolutely. So let's just get started talking about your career path. What brought you to pediatric dermatology? Um, so I actually similar to many people, I think, have had a little bit of a not a straight pathway. Um, and so what people might not know about me is my mom is a pharmacist and my father's a dermatologist. And I always like um, sort of staunchly uh, made up my mind that I didn't want to be my parents at all. And so went away from sciences. And then it just sort of fortuitously happened um, the way that my career progressed. So in high school, I started working at a pharmacy just as a summer job. And I loved the compounding. So it was a compounding pharmacy. And um, I found that that was very rewarding. I always liked to bake. And so compounding was similar. And so then I thought, okay, well, actually, maybe pharmacy does fit with me. Um, I liked sciences and, you know, it seemed like a good career. So I actually ended up going to pharmacy school. I got my bachelor's in pharmacy. Um, I worked at SickKids um, as a hospital pharmacist for a year. And then it was during that year that I sort of decided I wanted a little bit more ownership and leadership in, in the care of patients. And I loved being around the children. Um, so that sort of cemented my peds interest. But from there, I wrote my MCATs, um, applied to medicine, went back to med school. Um, and then I still wasn't convinced about dermatology. Um, I was actually going to be a pediatric nephrologist because that was sort of who I was working with. And my dad was like, you you're being very narrow and so he wanted me to you know at least shadow someone other than just him mm -hmm. um to see what dermatology was about and that's how I ended up um sort of linking up with Elena Pope and I spent a couple afternoons with her and I uh, did a couple research projects and that really sold me and um the rest is sort of natural I applied to dermatology and pediatrics got into germ and then did my Pete Sturm fellowship no regrets. It was a very long road, but at least um, one of the benefits of the pharmacy background, I think, is that I've been able to have that um, income working as a pharmacist through med school. And then also helps me sort of understand the multidisciplinary benefits um, of working with other professions. Absolutely. I'm beginning to realize that I don't think there is such a straight thing or such a thing as a straight line to pediatric dermatology. Almost everyone I talk to has had some sort of meandering yeah. path there. And in mm -hmm. fact, that for this season in particular, I've talked to uh, Dr. Garcia Romero and um, I talked to Dr. Lara Corrales and both of them were greatly inspired by Dr. Pope as well. So I'm sensing a theme here, particularly in Toronto. I think Dr. Yes, Pope is a great a mentor. Yeah, yeah, she's wonderful. So talk a little bit about um, 
your, what you like, what's a day of, of your life in clinic and in research. And then I also know that you see adults in addition to children. So talk a little bit about that too. Right. So I'm 80% at SickKids. Um, and so I have three half day clinics a week reliably at SickKids. Um, so those clinics, I have many trainees with me, um, usually two residents um, and a fellow, uh, more complicated patients. So often there are comorbidities or they have, um, I have two specialty clinics um, that I help to run at SickKids. So alopecia and morphia. Um, so one of those um, might be a reason I'm seeing them. Um, I those clinics tend to be quite busy and, and fewer patients than in the community, but still more complicated. Um, I love the clinics though. Like the, that's sort of what rejuvenates me and gives me pleasure um, is seeing the children like improve with your treatments, um, talking to them, engaging them. Um, and then also the teaching of the, of the trainees, I think is very rewarding. Um, so usually it's not a full day, it's a half day. And then um, on in the other times, I either work on my research, you know, there's a lot of paperwork that goes on for each clinic that you do. Um, I'm pretty heavily involved in education for the dermatology residents. Um, so that's another component of what I'm doing is teaching. Um, and then finally, I do have other clinics outside. So we sort of alluded to this, but 20% of my time um, is in the community. So I work at a community hospital seeing adults twice mm -hmm. a month, and then a community peds clinic, and then um, just an adult community clinic as well. Um, those clinics are, are much busier and mm -hmm. you see much more bread and butter, which is nice to see. Um, one of the reasons I really like those clinics is because it allows me to see adults um, who were previously followed as children. So like the transitioning um, child to adulthood. And I'm one of the few uh, dermatologists at SickKids who also sees adults. And so it's nice. I can meet them at SickKids, even if they're not my own patient, and try to help facilitate that transfer um, mm -hmm. and make it as seamless as possible, which is always a challenge. Yeah, I can imagine that would be a challenge. Do you think your experience working at at SickKids, but then also in the community hospitals and being able to transition the youth to adult care, do you think that affects your research or your approach to research? Yeah, I think so, because it gives me other lenses to see patients through. Mm -hmm. I think the more views you see on someone and also understanding what happens when they get older um, mm -hmm. makes me think more longitudinal questions um, mm -hmm. or, you know, other outside of the box questions. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about your research a little bit. What, what are your like primary research interests? Um, so for sure, alopecia or hair disorders in general is is a big interest. Um, this also came a little bit um, serendipitously when I came back to Toronto for my fellowship um, and I started working at SickKids. It was the one specialty clinic that I know they wanted to start, but they just didn't have anyone yet. Um, and it just so happened that I was the fortunate person to work with Leslie Costello 
um, during my fellowship. And, you know, she's a wealth of knowledge and, and also a really great mentor and um, leads by example, I would say. So I felt like that was something I could take on. But um, over the past five years, I've really developed more knowledge and skills in that area. Um, so I have a specialty clinic in alopecia once a month. Um, and I'm now uh, just joined uh, the PIDRA uh, focus group for hair disorders. Yes, you are now co-chair of that group with uh, Dr. Craig Craiglow, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that group. What kind of work are you doing? What kind of work do you hope to achieve with that group? Let's yeah, tell me all about it. Um, well, it's an exciting time, I think, as many people know, for alopecia because of the, you know, the JAK inhibitors, obviously, um, coming on the market. And uh, the other thing that's come out in the past couple of years is, you know, minoxidil orally. And so there's a lot of excitement around that. Um, I think another um, facet, so not only do we have many more therapeutics that are available, um, I think that um, hair disorders affect across the spectrum, skin of different colors um, and hair of different textures. And so I think that's also something that um, I want to see expanded upon in research um, to really, you know, think about how we can best help the full range of hair disorders that we might see. I think some of my research projects to date, so um, one that I'm especially uh, tied to was we did a burden of disease survey um, across Canada. It wasn't like an enormous study, but I thought it brought out some really interesting and pertinent um, sort of points from that survey. So we we surveyed adults and we surveyed peds and there weren't a huge number of peds, but um, what was universally reported was anxiety. And mm -hmm. so I think the more I see this, anxiety is something that many patients, especially with alopecia areata, but also like antigenetic alopecia um, have, and that is important to consider and, and to do a little bit more research on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I have um I have somebody close to me in my life who has androgenetic alopecia and it's really hard to watch her go through that. It is very anxiety inducing and it's um it's stressful and it's it's tough especially when you feel like you know your hair is linked to the stress that you have and so the more stress and anxiety you have, the more you feel like it's falling out and it's it's exactly. yeah, it's a hard hard thing. Mm. And then with parents in the room, like you realize that parents often um, have either just as much anxiety or more anxiety, and it yeah. sort of feeds into the whole situation. Absolutely. Yeah. We know kids especially are very sensitive and in tune to those types of anxieties and feelings that adults have, even if we aren't outwardly expressing them, our kids are still picking up on them. Yeah, absolutely. So lots of good work that's going to be happening in the hair disorders, lots of good work that's already been happening and now just continuing that great work. So let's talk about like, what kind of projects are you working on right now? What can you talk about right now? Um, so a couple that I have going on. So one interest obviously is the hair disorders and then also morphia um, and then drug interactions. So a couple of different interests. Um, for the hair disorders, I have a biomarker study um, that 
Uh, we're looking at patients with atopic dermatitis and alopecia areata, comparing them to patients with just alopecia areata, and then compared to control patients with like nevi or nothing inflammatory. Okay. And trying to see if there's any um, cytokines in the blood that correlate with those. Um, it's a small study. It was a small grant, but that's something I'm getting to my completion for. Um, another project that we're actually making use of the focus group for is uh, an androgenetic alopecia retrospective review. So this is multi-center and um, my main co-partner for that is uh, Megan Craddock uh, from Texas. And so we're, we've been um, putting together a REDCap database and I think it'll be very um, interesting to see the results of that. Um, so that's another project. Um, and then I, I also really want to get into this anxiety piece and figure out if there are things that we can do to better screen and target the anxiety in patients with alopecia. Mm -hmm. um, so that's sort of the on the hair um, aspect. And then in terms of morphia, there's a couple of projects that we're working on. Um, one being looking at uh, transition readiness um, mm -hmm. in patients as they get to that age where they're going to graduate into adult care mm -hmm. and seeing, you know, how much um, patients know about their medical conditions, if they're able to localize without mom or dad there, why they're taking medications, what the importance is, et cetera. Um, so I think that'll be a really helpful study as well. Super helpful. Very interesting. I'd be very curious to see how that works. Um, and that as well has been sort of something I've noticed working in the adult world. You know, you, you get these 17 or 18 year old patients in front of you who sort of, if mom or dad is not there anymore, can't really tell you as rich of a um, stories you want to hear about how they're doing and how their um, medications are working for them. Yeah, I can imagine it's a tricky age, right? I mean, it, just in general, there's a lot of things that they're, they should be ready to do, right? We hope our kids are ready to launch at that age, but it, there's always going to be something that they're unsure about. But that mm -hmm. is, you bring up such a good point. Can they effectively communicate why they're taking this medication or what their condition is? And, and can they effectively advocate for themselves in a way that their parents could before, that's something I didn't even think about, but of course, I'm sure it's on your mind every day when, especially in your community clinics. Yeah. And I have the luxury of usually being able to go into their medical charts from sick kids and being able right. to fill in the gaps that I need, but not everyone has that. So. Right. Right. And our kids, they go off to college and then, you know, they're away from home. So they're going to have to see a doctor at some point away from home. And and that doctor doesn't have the luxury of going into their file and, and seeing their history. So it's such an interesting point you raise. And now it's got me thinking as a mom, how I'm going to prepare my daughter for those conversations. <laughs> um, I know that you, I think it was the one of the 2021 re research fellowship awards served as a mentor to, um, to one of our, our, uh, recipients, Maskan Shastiva, is that how she pronounces yeah. her name? Okay. Who is now a second year resident in yeah. dermatology here, yeah. um, which so was it's a great experience. Yeah, I'd just love to hear more about that project, how it went, like what is it, what's it like to serve as a mentor in that kind of capacity on a project that's specific? Like, 
I really enjoyed the mentorship um, experience. We tried to meet like once every one or two weeks. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, being able to to mentor her through like I we started off with a systematic review. So walking her how to do that. Um, you know, seeing how she like grew and developed throughout the project was very rewarding. Um, and then it also that project was interesting because it drew on connections that I, you know, you don't you never know when these connections will appear. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I was mentioning, when I worked as a pharmacist here, I was working on the solid organ transplant team mm-hmm. and I worked with one of the nephrologists and she had actually done um, a review based on insurance claims of mm-hmm. cancers, but they had excluded mm-hmm. skin cancers because they didn't have a good validation. So mm-hmm. I was actually able to link back with her. She'd been a, a very good mentor to me and mm-hmm. see if we could, you know, sort of latch on to that project, but then, you know, um, recreate the outcomes and use other validated measures for skin cancers. Um, so it was for me a nice example of how, like, you never know um, when a certain connection is going to, you know, help you moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just the experience of being able to be a mentor. I think mentors learn just as much from their mentees as mentees do from their mentors. And um, yeah, no, very happy to see how she did throughout that experience. Good, great results. And, you know, hopefully we can uh, propagate and inspire future research. Oh, absolutely. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I would love it if you had something personal about yourself you'd like to share with the network. One of my great loves in life is baseball. And so um, I am a hard and fast Blue Jays fan. Um, I did try to sort of um, take on the Phillies when I was in Philadelphia for my fellowship. And I still, you know, when when the Phillies play the Jays, I'm I'm a little bit torn. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I love baseball. I'm a huge fanatic. Um, and the other thing that people might not know about me is I um, got a COVID purchase, as many people did, of a pet. And so I have a pet bunny um, named Tuxedo. Oh, my uh, Yeah, and so he keeps me company. He's uh, black with a white tummy. And so that's hence the name Tuxedo. Oh my gosh. What a yeah, cutie. Oh yeah. my gosh. Baseball. So what, uh, what, what drew you to baseball? How'd you become a baseball fanatic? I, uh, I think my dad, like when I was a kid, okay. I remember listening like on the, the yellow Walkman to the games. Every <laughs> yes. night. Um, and I would, you know, get the newspaper um, and look at the rankings every single morning. Um, so yeah, I just wow. sort of, ingrained in me from childhood yeah wow baseball was like imprinted on you as a child oh that's awesome well thank you so much for joining me today it has been really great getting to know you getting to know your work and thank you so much for co-chairing our hair disorders group as well as working on our grants and outcomes committees so we really appreciate all you do for us thank you so much dr sibold Thank you. It's a great community to be a part of. And and thanks again so much for the invitation. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Getting to Know You. And special thanks to Dr. Sibold for being here with me today. It was great getting to know about her research interests and about her amazing work that she's been doing in her own community. 
If you want to watch more of these Getting to Know You episodes, be sure to scan through our YouTube channel at the Pediatric Dermatology Research Alliance. You can also listen um, to this and other podcast programming in our Pedra Pearls podcast, which you can find on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time.